0: What does the Christian life look like? What should it look like? If you're a Christian here this morning, what did, what did you expect it to be like the day you put your trust in Jesus? More like a ride on a cruise ship or a war, a battle where you get trod on, shot at, where you get dirt on your hand, mud in your face, grit in your teeth. Well, the fast fast poor, for fa- over the last four weeks, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Seeing how this church that is precious to God, the, t- the church with every spiritual gift with all wisdom and knowledge, could do with a bit of course correction. Paul's directive has been to refocus their trajectory on Jesus. See, Jesus is not sexy. He's not sexy in the world's eyes. He doesn't appear powerful or wise. And the temptation for the Corinthian church and for our church is to push him to the margins. But the message Jesus brings is the answer to the world's deepest need. It's the solution to death. It's true forgiveness. A a slate wiped clean. The promise of life that does not end. No more dying or mourning or crying or pain. (laughs) The message of Jesus is amazing. But what does it look like here and now? If you were to put your trust in Jesus today, what would your tomorrow be like? Well, for the Corinthians, the Christian life looked very impressive. It was a life of freedom and ease, wisdom and strength, honor and power. It was a cruise ship style life and they loved it. They viewed their leaders as kings and kingship as their goal. They were captains on the cruise liner of Christianity. But the problem was they'd mistaken what is for now and what is for later. They'd exchanged their own faithfulness for the promises of future glory. So Paul begins his corrective by outlining what true leaders should look like. Firstly, that the apostles are slaves with one audience. Secondly, that faithfulness is what's required. And thirdly, the faithful Christian will be more like the scum of the earth than the king of the sea. So, firstly, apostles slaves with one audience. The, the apostles were the leaders of the Christian church. They were the ones Jesus sent to start His church. And while the Corinthian church focused on the fame of their leaders, the real apostles hold out faithfulness as the key. Have a look at verse one in your Bibles with me. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. The apostles were slaves servants that they called jesus their lord which meant that made him their master fame wasn't something on their agenda you know you don't become famous being a slave but serving their master was what they were about if you call yourself a christian you're calling jesus your lord your master which means you're calling yourself a slave of jesus Someone committed to serving him, to getting your hands dirty, to getting grit in your teeth and mud on your face. What's your view of Christianity or of Christian leadership? One of fame or service? Because <laughs> just about every leader I know, is, especially in the world, is hugely concerned about the opinions of those around them. Pleasing the public, their constituents, whether that's politics or business or whatever it is. We're always trying to please all these people. Keep up appearances. But the Christian leader, says Paul, plays to an audience of one. Like a slave answers to their master, so the Christian leader is faithful to Jesus. Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. It's not those around us who we're supposed to please. It's the creator of the universe who will judge our actions. Leadership is not about self-service, not about self-glory, It's about serving those around you. See, everyone here is equipped to serve. God's given us all skills, abilities, talents. Uh, He's blessed us so we can be a blessing to others. Not to say, look at me. Look how good I look. We've been entrusted with these things. And what Paul's saying here is that one day we'll be held to account. That we'll have to give an accounting before God. Now, it's not like, the, the, do we, are we saved or not? That's not the picture. This accounting will just be like a sifting. A sifting through of the way we've acted, the way we've done things, the motives of our hearts, what we've said, what we've thought, and why we've said it, and why we've thought it. And God will bring to light the realities of our hearts. So, the picture here is that God will, will be the one who will judge those things, but if you're anything like me, I find myself consistently comparing myself to others. Kind of going, am I as good as them? As funny as them? As gifted as them? As as talented as as this person? Am I as caring or as trendy or as skinny or as strong or as fast? I'm always comparing. I'm always judging myself based on others' opinions of me. It's so hard not to be concerned about what others think. It's so easy to forget to ask what Jesus thinks. To forget to weigh up my life before Him. Friends, the Christian life is lived to an audience of one. It's not your friends, not your parents. It's not your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your husband or your wife, your boss or your kids, your colleagues or your enemies. It's not even yourself the motives of our hearts, the thoughts of our minds, the action of our lives will be brought to light by Jesus. Before Him, it's faithfulness that matters. But I want us to kind of pause for a moment and see something in this passage that I think is tremendously important. Um, It is never our job to judge someone's motives. It's never our job to judge their motives. They're, They're off limits. We should never go, oh, they did that for these reasons, I think. Did you say that in the passage? It's, it's just so important for relationships. So often, we don't even know our own motives. I don't even know why I, totally, clearly I do the things I do. Yet so often I want to say, oh, they did that because they're lazy. Or because they're proud. Or they're doing this for their own glory. Paul is saying motives are untouchable at least now, because we can't see into our hearts. We can't see like God can see. Yet we so often attribute motives to others. Paul says, it doesn't matter what I think, it doesn't matter what you think, it matters what Jesus thinks. And when he comes, he will make that final judgment about how we conducted our lives and our ministries. Whatever you think about Rowan it about why I do what I do, it'll have to wait. Only Jesus has the capacity to know motives. Now, it doesn't mean I don't try and make sure my motives are right. and It doesn't mean you you, you can't make judgments on on the things that we say and the things that we do. We judge on action. We say, because because God has revealed them. God has spoken on those things. He said, this is the right way to live, and this isn't. And and as we break those things, we're like, oh, I don't think God wants us to live that way. But to say you broke that or you did this because you're being evil, you're being selfish, you're being... That's off-limits. We must not make the final assessments on people based on their motive. We judge on action, on the way they have been living according to God's rule. We love them and we care for them. Resist the urge to decide someone's motives. Train yourselves to to not judge them. It's a massive train wreck for relationships, no matter where it is. It does you no good, it does them no good. You're consistently second-guessing people. Why are they doing that to me? Why are they saying this thing? Is it because they think this of me? Is it because of that? You can't know. You can ask them, hey, when you said that the other day, I wasn't quite sure what you meant. You you can have a generous assumption, um, but we can't go, oh, they meant so and so, so then I'm going to move on. It's off limits. Well, Paul's purpose here about Jesus' judgment on that final day, when you will judge our motives, it isn't to condemn it's not kind of like the schoolyard report card, where, where it's like you, you come and you bring it to your parents and you're like, yeah, you put it out and they're like, oh, why didn't you work harder on that subject and that subject? Rowan, why does it always say, Rowan, if he just applied himself and stopped talking in class, he'd actually be able to learn something, right? And it was always, it said that every report from kindergarten through all, all of my, pretty much, even to high school, um, even in the final years, I'd get kicked out of class because I'd talk too much. Um, and it was like coming, bringing my report card to my parents and going, oh. and there were some good bits on it. But sometimes it was kind of like, okay, there's some things here that I'm not too proud of. That's not the purpose of what Jesus is doing here. His purpose is not to condemn. It's to sift through our actions and look for ways we glorify Him. He's looking to praise us. It's like when a child comes home from school and brings you their painting, their picture. And you're like, oh, that's great, that's amazing, what is it? And then they kind of explain to you that this is a a whale in the ocean, and there's another whale there, and you're like, I can see that, good work, I can see you've actually made, that's what Jesus is doing. Looking for places to praise us for how we've served him, for how we've lived our life, not glorifying ourselves, not making ourselves bigger, but sacrificially serving Jesus. It's a great day, it's a win-win situation. Sure, the deeds, our motives will be brought to light. All will see why we've done what we've done. But that will all be paid for in Jesus, for those who trust in him. And when he sifts through our actions and looks at the way we've lived, it will be like, wow, he wants to glorify us. That's amazing. It blows me away. The creator of the universe doesn't kind of want to look at all my problems, but wants to see how I've honoured him. And that gives me motive for wanting to serve Him, wanting to make the most of every second, of every minute of this life. makes me go, oh man, I don't want to live on a cruise ship. I want to get out there. I want to glorify Jesus. What a great motivation to serve our God, that He wants to praise us on that final day for how we've brought Him glory. Faithfulness is about pleasing God. Pointing to his fame rather than creating your own. Serving the true master rather than multiplying our masters. Please don't hear me be down about leaders. Don't kind of hear me saying that these Corinthians, they were like, they're were like—they after leadership because they were. They wanted to be great. They wanted to be big. But Paul's not being down on leadership. Leadership is fantastic. Aspiring for leadership is good. I want everyone in our church to be going, yes, I want to lead people on their love and knowledge of God. If we're going to grow as a church, if we're going to grow in how we know Jesus, if we're going to see each person here in a connect group, if we're going to reach more of Auckland with the gospel, then we need to grow and we need leaders to do that. Do you know, if you want to see just 10% of Auckland living in Bible, sorry, going along to Bible-believing, gospel-centred churches, then we need to see 750 churches of 200 people or 200 churches of 750 people. Now, there's lots of churches in Auckland, but there's nowhere near that, and that's just 10%. God wills that all people be saved. That's his desire. He doesn't save all of them, but he holds out his gospel for them all, and he gives us, he entrusts us, are the words from the passage, with the truth, the powerful message, not our words, but his, that bring people to himself. That's a privilege. Humanly speaking, if we're going to grow in maturity in number, we're going to need a bunch more leaders. We're going to need a heap of them. Just for next year, we need at least another three or four Connect Group leaders. Um, it feels small now. Uh, it feels like we're kind of little. And, but I think as, as we put our structures in, as we keep sharing, as we publicly launch, like we haven't even advertised our meeting time on our website yet. That'll happen over the next couple of weeks. We've got a new website. You'll see it very soon. Um, it's in its final stage of testing. But as we release that, we can start inviting people to stuff. Um, I've got 2,000 business cards coming uh, for all of us to say, here's an Auckland EV card. Come along to church, not for our comfy seats, but for the uncomfortable message of Jesus that gives great forgiveness and life and hope. I'm looking forward to seeing how God grows his church. We need more kids' church leaders. Um, now that we've moved here, and kids' church is, is in Mower's Nest, just next door. Um, we, can probably, we can probably fit 40 kids in there which means we need more people who are willing to, to teach our children and grow our children in love and knowledge of God. We need more musicians. Like our guys have been serving us faithfully uh, ever since we started, since I think Tim's had three weeks off since Easter. So we want to pray for Tim and Dawn. Dawn's been alongside pretty much that time as well. Pray for those guys that God would sustain them. Um, And pray that God would bring along other people who can play guitar, who can play bass, who can play the keyboard, who can sing and lead us. It's great to see Nina up here this week and serving us in that way. Guys, we can't make God's church grow. But God can. And He seems to use us to do it. So we need to prayerfully come before Him, depend on Him, show our dependence on Him, and bring these things before Him regularly, often, so that He may see that our hearts are like his, in some ways, try and be. So the Corinthian church, they were all about fame. So Paul shows that killing fame, the way to kill fame, is actually, it's a little odd, it's our dependence on scripture. Have a look at verse 6. Now brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying... Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over and against another. Do not go beyond what is written. In this age, before our hearts have been opened for the world to see and, 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 and Jesus has sifted through us, Paul restricts us to not go beyond what was written. Don't go beyond God's judgments. Don't make judgments of your own. Listen to Scripture. Just six times before this, if you look back through 1 Corinthians 1-4, to Paul has quoted Old Testament Scripture. He's saying, this is not new. This is a fulfillment of what God has been speaking for so long. And then we see that, that what Paul speaks to them actually becomes Scripture. Peter, in, in 1 Peter, I think, or maybe it's, 1, it's 2 Peter, calls Paul's writings hard to understand like the other Scriptures. He equates them as God's Word. So, as we are live in God's world, we need to depend on Scripture because it takes away our pride. It's not like oh, I've come up with these amazing words or this amazing message. We come to the God who's spoken in His Word, who by His Spirit convicts us and makes that Word come alive and changes us. It works on two levels. It stops us bringing others down based on information we don't have. Kind of judging their motives, judging their actions, where we don't have access to really what's happening there. And it stops us elevating ourselves up like, we've got the latest message from God. Like, I have God's word, and look at me. I'm speaking God's word to people, and God's word levels pride. Verse 7, for who made you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you didn't receive it, why do you boast as though you did? Everything Paul has, everything they have, everything we have, is been given to us by God. The truth of who God is, where we can authoritatively know who He is and what He said, is written for us in Scripture. Therefore, don't go beyond what is written in Scripture. If you have a word from God, test it. Make sure that it fits with what God has revealed, because it will never be different. The same Spirit-inspired Scripture as speaks and convicts and challenges and changes us today. So it will always line up with God's Word. If you hear someone preaching, test it against Scripture. If you separate the Spirit and the Word, and you kind of put a division there, you end up putting your own words on God's mouth. God said to me that if it's different from what Scripture says. You end up putting your words in God's mouth. and That grieves God. He died. His Son died for us. And that message has been clearly written down for us. And when people start standing in the place of God, I've heard, I've heard people say, look, you know, um, Jesus' death on the cross, it's, it's important and stuff, but there's more than that. God is speaking to us today and he's challenging us in a new way. And I'm like, that is not the trajectory of Scripture. That's taking Scripture and changing it and saying, we're about doing X, Y, or Z, or or we're about having an experience in the wilderness. I'm kind of like, what is going on? That makes God angry. Could there be anything more important than his son who died? Paul says we preach Christ and Him crucified. Stumbling block for the Jews, foolishness to the Greeks. But for those in Christ, it's the wisdom and power of God. That's where the Spirit is, is focusing. That's where He's speaking. That's what He's shining towards is to Jesus. And it's through the Word. So when it comes to preachers and leaders and teachers, you can quote us all you like. You can quote me all you want. But don't quote me like it's somehow going to win an argument the last thing I want for this church is for it to be about Rowan. It's just ridiculous. I feel funny saying that. Like, do you really think it could be about you, Rowan? (laughs) It needs to be about Jesus. You didn't come to hear me speak. You came to hear what God has said to us in his word. You agree with what I say to the extent that what I say agrees with scripture. See, if it were about the preacher, then you could claim pride. The Corinthians could talk about their leaders and how great they were. But as we come back to Scripture, as we do not go beyond what is written, it levels the playing field. But the Corinthians' pride was even bigger than their leaders. They were full of pride themselves. They thought they'd arrived, kind of sitting back, look at us, we're like kings. They were acting like kings. And that's where Paul takes them and kind of shows this contrast that faithfulness brings. Have a look from verse 8. We'll read a bit through to the end of 10. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've become kings. And that without us. How I wish that you had really become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a public spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, but we are dishonoured. The Corinthian church is playing pretend kings, sitting there like they've already arrived acting like spoiled brats, sitting on the deck of a cruise liner going, we've got all the freedom in the world. Look at us. Bring me my drink and my martini and I'll sit here and relax. I've got the freedom to live however I want. And Paul's going to go on and show them that someone is sleeping with their, with their father's wife, so their stepmother at best. And they're proud. What are, the, what are these guys doing? They're kind of falling asleep at the wheel. Paul is like, faithfulness is what it is about. While the true servants, the apostles, are at war, they're getting pushed around, they're getting mocked, they're getting laughed at because they held out the message of the cross. Paul says when you want to think about leaders, don't think about the king or the emperor like the Corinthians are doing, sitting on their fancy seat, watching their favourite game of kill the slave in the arena. Think apostle, public spectacle. They're last in, in the procession. Now the procession is not a ticket tape parade where we're singing all glory to the apostles. The, 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 the pr- procession is probably in, in a Roman arena where the slave, the person to, for, for enjoyment, would be dragged behind a chariot round and round while everyone watched and cheered and went, die. It's not sexy, is it? It's not glorious. Paul is saying that is what faithful leadership looks like the Corinthians think the apostle means emperor, Paul says apostle means person condemned to die, pouring out their life so that others may know Christ that's the Christian life that is what what it is like to live, if you put your trust in Jesus today that's what you're saying, that's what it's going to be So many places will will, will say, come to Jesus and your life will be better. You'll have big cars, big houses, big bank accounts. All your dreams will come true. It's like winning lotto. And sometimes you see that God does bless people. And he does promise to bless us here. He says we'll have a hundred times more brothers, fathers, mothers, sisters, but with them persecutions. The Christian life never promises to be easy, but it does promise to be good bringing glory to the God who made us, serving Him with all our hearts and all our minds and all our strength. The Corinthians thought if they came to Jesus, they'd get it all right here, right now, in this age. It really, really angers me when I hear people say, come to Jesus and everything will get better. Your sickness will be healed right here, right now. It makes me so angry because it's a promise God does not make now, I think God can heal people. Don't get me wrong. God is amazingly powerful and we should pray that he will heal people. Um, and we, we could, we should keep praying for people that, that they would, would get better, but he never promises in this life our sicknesses will be healed. Never promises that. And so people think that there's something wrong with it, like they don't have enough faith, like that there's kind of all this stuff going on that they're not good enough for God and... Their faith ends up shifting and they walk away from Jesus because he doesn't come through with what these people are saying he's promising. Don't put words on the mouth of God. Instead, listen to the life of the apostles. Listen and hear how much it sounds like their master's life, like Jesus. Verse 11. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we've become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. This is no sexy cruise ship lifestyle. It's a battlefield. It's got no worldly status, no political status, no kind of privileged position in society. Following Jesus is like being a garbage collector. The world looks on it as well. It's kind of, you know, less, less than that. in fact. Because we, we kind of somehow see garbage collectors as important because they take away all our garbage. It's like being garbage. Literally the word there, the refuse of the world, it's the crap on your shoes. It's like walking through a farm and getting animal excrement on your on your feet. That is what it is like, being trodden on. Paul says that is the Christian life. That is what it's like to follow him. It's like, you know when you empty your bin and you go and it's out on the road and you look inside it and there's like a bit of white bin juice, I call it, in there? The stuff that's like left over, that's kind of festered and kind of a bit smelly and the flies and you it. Know, That's us. Welcome fellow scum of the world. Fellow binge people who trust in Jesus. That's what he's saying. That is our identity. That is our pride. It's not in us. Our identity is found in Jesus. The cruise ship lifestyle, it might be nice for a bit, but it lasts like a blink of the eye. And it's followed by the taste of death. But the battle we're fighting has already been won the battle we're involved in the, the, the judgment has already been given Jesus has defeated death and now we are here to take that message out before, before the world itself passes away what a battle to be in to be playing a game that you know has already won and gives you great hope it gives you great endurance it's not like oh I'm not sure what's going to happen we know that God has won the battle so fight hard and if you feel like you're scum if you feel like you're downtrodden and beaten and you kind of come to church and, and it feels like you know, everyone else has got it together don't believe the lie none of us have it together welcome, we all feel the same it's just we don't like showing it because we're proud we all are beggars at the foot of the cross we don't do what we know we should do. We constantly step back into ways we shouldn't. But we trust the God who has saved us, who has paid the price for us, who has died in our place. If you ever feel like you don't have it all together and you should, look to Paul. He doesn't have it all together. Look to us. Each one of us here need Jesus. We all fall down. We all need a Saviour. We are hanging on to Jesus for dear life. I don't know how many times I feel... I probably weekly feel like I should just give up and go home. Like the Christian life, not just here in Auckland, but the Christian life, it's hard. It's tiring. And I look at friends around me that, um, you know, after university were in the same sort of jobs and stayed there that own their houses, that own three or four houses. I look around and I think, oh, how easy it is. Some of them are even Christians, and that's great. And no problems with owning houses. Don't, don't hear me down on that. But... I just kind of go, oh, it would be so easy just to go after that lifestyle. Just relaxed and comfortable and rather than push myself, how can I serve Jesus? How can I get my hands dirty? How can I not sit back and put my feet up? How can I speak of the God who saved me? We are not cruise ship captains. Don't believe the lie. We are called to be humble, loving servants. People entrusted with the gospel. We're at war, and the world around us thinks we're pathetic. Fellow scumbags, Christian ministry is hard. The Christian life is hard. It's not pretty. It's not glorious. The hurt you feel, the pain you bear, the sacrifices you make are going to stay there. There are going to be times you feel like giving up if you don't already. But come together and hold out the gospel of Jesus. Because it's worth it. That final day when we see Jesus face to face, when he comes back and the promises that people want to hold for now actually do become true. That, that there is no more mourning or crying or pain when Jesus returns, when the old order of things has been put away, the future that's held out, when, when that happens... Ah, oh, the joy of knowing Jesus. Of spending eternity with people. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The old order of things has been put away. It's done with. It's a thing of the past. And now we see God face to face. How life was meant to be. That's the future. That's the joy that comes from trusting in Jesus. So every time we're cursed, we bless every conversation, every experience of injustice, no matter how badly we've spoken to, we always should speak well back. Because we have a hope, and we want to share that hope with those around us. Because we represent the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the true ruler, who died and sacrificed his life for us. Just two days ago, a man by the name of John Chapman died he was a great preacher around my where I grew up in fact he pretty much taught me how, how to preach he had a preaching video and we caught up he was a great critique of preaching he was pretty pretty solid guy and you always kind of go brother move it along once you got to 20 minutes he'd be like I'm not listening anymore like he literally you'd be preaching and you hear him from the back move it along brother but he in his 82 years of life Taught hundreds of guys and girls how to preach. He spoke the gospel to so many people. He wrote a book called A Fresh Start that sold over 300,000 copies. Not because it's a great book, because it points to a great saviour. He was a brilliant preacher. Nothing fancy about him. He was an old man when I had much to do with him, sort of 70, 80. He used to talk about every day as a new specialist. That, that was his life, right? you got to go to a new specialist and see a new doctor because there's a new problem. At 9.15 on Friday night, he experienced the moment he'd been looking forward to since he was a teenager. This was the hope that he'd held out, the hope that he'd shared with everyone who'd listened. He loved explaining to people about Jesus, that he'd given his life to pay for their sins, that Jesus had offered forgiveness, that God had raised him from the dead, and now you could have this hope. You could live a life that you knew the end. He'd shared and he'd passionately plead with people to give up trying to rule life yourself and to trust Jesus. Turn and seek forgiveness to hand over control of your life. For the last 57 years, John Chapman had given up his life daily. He was a single guy who just wanted to serve Jesus. Nothing wrong with getting married, but he just went, I just want to preach the gospel. He travelled Australia, he travelled the world to speak of this Jesus. For Chapo, to live was Christ, and to die was gain. To die was to be in the presence of his Lord, and he kept serving Jesus right to the very end. Not in a kind of glorified way, just sharing his faith in the retirement village. He's like, I've now got time. So he wrote five books on kind of making the most of the rest of your life. At 75, he wrote that book. Making the most of the rest of your life. (laughs) How to make the most of God's words. Understand what God is saying. He shared his faith. He encouraged so many. In the last few weeks, he was still preaching the gospel. The Wild Sea Conference that we, we're going to in 2009, he did the talks on Revelation. He was there, eager to see New Zealand come to know Jesus. He was no worldly prince. I don't speak of him because he was somehow an amazing leader. I speak of him because he laid down his life for the gospel. His non sexy, non eloquent, non flash pop explanation of the gospel, his tireless efforts, to pour out his life, to die daily to teach young punks like me how to speak of Jesus. Resulted, through God's word, in hundreds of people knowing how to preach. In thousands of people hearing the good news of Jesus. He wrote this from something recently he put down. He was reflecting on Romans 8.18 which says, I consider that our present suffering is not to be compared with the glory which will be revealed. This is what he said. We should contemplate the new creation where we will be like Jesus. What a joy that will be. I'll be perfectly in God's image. The glory which will be revealed will so dwarf our life here that our whole days on this planet will be about as significant as our first day at kindergarten. At the end of my life, as I stand before the judge of the world, I don't want to hear, Rowan, you're amazing. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Won't you join me in denying our cruise line-up mentality, our pride-filled hopes, our self-centred plans for fame and popularity. Throw them away. And become a public spectacle. Walking the life of faithfulness sharing what's been entrusted to us as we await a future that is far better than we could ever hope or imagine. Won't you join me in being the scum of the earth so we can point to the Saviour of the world? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life so that we might be in right relationship with you. Lord, we stand here totally because of him. And Lord, we confess that so often we want to make stuff about ourselves. We want to glorify ourselves rather than you. We slip back into wanting to please ourselves and others, not you. Father, help us to live for your approval when we're trying to do things, help us to, to uh, behind the scenes, to be serving you. Help us to honour you when no one is looking, to serve you when people are, to live lives of integrity. Father, help us to withhold our judgement on others, knowing that you are the one who judges motives. Let us not put out our perceptions on others, but be generous and gentle. Let us still hold to the truth of your word, Lord, but Lord... Help us trust your son. Help us hold him out the days of our life. Help us get our hands dirty. Help us speak of Jesus. Put us on display, we pray. It's not so that we will be built up, but so that people may know the hope that you've shown us in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.